Anyway, so uh, life is full of stress, right? And it sounds like, from what you guys are telling me, your life does not have that much stress. Good for you. It's coming, all right? It is coming. As soon as you get married and you have a couple kids, it's all downhill from here, baby. And so... Uh, and so at, at Christmas, um, at Christmas, we are reminded of a couple of things. And I talked about this up at main campus, if you were up there uh, this weekend, is uh, life is messy. Life can be stressful. It can be chaotic. And at, at the, during, the, during the holiday seasons, I think that our lives, whether they're good or bad or, or both, the things of our life are magnified during the holiday seasons. And so if we have a chaotic life, it's going to be even more chaotic during the holiday season. And if we have some stuff in our lives in which we're struggling with, those struggles are going to be magnified during the holiday season. And everywhere that I look, it seems like people are trying to accomplish the same thing. And one of their main goals during the Christmas season, and it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, if you believe in the Bible, anything, it seems like one of the values of Christmas is peace. And peace, of course, is the opposite of anxiety or stress. And so everybody is hoping in the most stressful time of the year to find some type of peace. And the scripture talks about this idea of peace. It talks about it all over the place, but specifically at the Christmas story. It says that this person, Jesus, who is arriving on the scene, that he is going to bring some sort of peace. In fact, if we go back to the Old Testament, um, we find these series of promises. And, um, and kind of the backdrop of these promises is that God made a promise to this guy, Abraham, like 4,000 years ago. And he said, I'm going to do a series of things for you. I am going to make you into a great nation of people. And he did that. That's the nation of Israel. I'm going to give you a promised land. And he did that. And we have the, 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 uh, the nation of Israel and the land that they belong in. And then we also have um, this blessing that somehow through these people in this nation is going to bless the entire world. And then these prophets come along and, and they give us a little bit more insight into what this blessing is going to look like. And so uh, about 700 years before Jesus, we have this guy named Isaiah. Actually, was he 700 years? Now my chron chronology is off. It's been a long day. Anyway, you don't care. A few hundred years before Jesus, uh, this guy Isaiah comes along and, and he says, here's what this Savior is going to look like. He's going to be the Savior not only of Israel, but of mankind. And so he gives us some insight. It, it sounds like this. Isaiah 9, 6 says, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so one of the titles that Jesus is given, as we look back and we know who this uh, prophecy is about, is it, he is going to be the Prince of Peace. And, and so if we look into Israel's history and they're thinking about who this Prince of Peace is going to be, they probably had images of King David. David was the greatest king of Israel. He was the person who was not only the warrior king, but he also brought in a time of peace amongst the people and, and, the, and, and the, uh, fighting amongst the nations. And so they're thinking about this political power that's going to come and it's going to bring peace to their nation and to the people. And then we fast forward and we see that after these prophecies are made, that there's going to be this person, this Savior, who's going to bring peace, God goes silent for 400 years. He says nothing, doesn't send any miracles, he doesn't say, uh, send any prophets to deliver any messages. He is just totally silent for 400 years. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. And one day, um, we hear the announcement through the angels, and, and the shepherds come, and we have these wise men and this nativity scene, and Jesus arrives, and we are told that the Prince of Peace has come to the earth. 
This is great news, especially in a place that is full of, of turmoil and destruction. And so if we fast forward a little bit into Jesus' ministry, he starts to make these really big claims, like that he is God incarnate and that he has come to bring God's kingdom um, into the world. And if you're not familiar with this terminology and kind of the theology behind it, the, the simplest way to understand the kingdom of God is that it is where God's will is done on earth. Everything that God's will is, everything that he wants, that he desires, is actually coming to fruition uh, in the world. And so Jesus goes and he starts making all of these, uh, all these claims about being this Messiah. And from the Jewish perspective in the first century, if they're thinking about a king like David, this political mil military power king that comes to the earth, Jesus is kind of a failure. If you look at his ministry and that's the expectation, and by the way, if you have any friends where you yourself are Jewish, this is why many of them don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, because of their conception of who the Messiah was going to be and who Jesus actually was. And so he wasn't a, a political leader like David. He, he didn't come in any kind of power or influence. He didn't bring peace among the nations. He didn't have this kingdom. So it's sort of hard to rule over a kingdom if you have no land. And he didn't have a land. In fact, he was homeless for most of his ministry or his entire life, admittedly so. He was a, a, a person who just traveled around and, and stayed at different people's places. And, and so he didn't have a land. And so, one, he's not politically powerful. Um, he doesn't have any kind of land. And he also didn't bring any peace with him. If you look at the first century, when Jesus arrived, we didn't see any peace at all. There's still persecution under the Romans. Um, the, uh, Jesus himself was brutally murdered. And for the last 2,000 years, all we have seen is conflict amongst people. And so Jesus' arrival, if he's supposed to be someone who brings peace to, to the entire world, and he's the prince of peace, he's doing a really bad job. And so for many people, this would be evidence of a failed messiah. But I think we got to step back a little bit because there's something bigger happening here. Maybe the view, maybe the conception, maybe the idea of who this Messiah, this Prince of Peace was going to be, maybe they had it wrong. Maybe they had the wrong view. Maybe there was something more significant going on. And so when Jesus gets on the scene, um, he starts to preach this. He says in Mark 1, 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so he says, look, I'm bringing this kingdom and if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to repent. That means you have to turn away from your sin of wanting to be in charge of your life, and you have to hand over your life to God, and then you can enter into the kingdom. And so he wants people who become citizens in the kingdom of God, who instead of building their own little kingdoms, which is what we do most of the time, right? Our whole life is dedicated to not building God's kingdom and making his name great, but it's about us. It's about making our world great. It's about building our little families and about building our homes and our careers and our bank accounts. And so much of our life is about us building our mini kingdoms. And he says, if you want to follow me, I want you to be a kingdom builder on my behalf. I want you to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. He said the result will be that this kingdom will bring peace into the world. 
Well, let's see if that seems to be true. Or actually, let's see um, what he's not saying. Because here's what I don't think Jesus is saying when he says that he's bringing a kingdom of peace. I don't think that he's saying that there's going to be ceasing of war, violence, or disaster. In fact, in Matthew 24, 6, he says this. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And so he says, look, before I return, he talks about, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go away, I'm going to go into heaven, and I'm going to come back and return, but before that happens, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, there's going to be a mess here. Now, you as Christians, he says, you're supposed to be peacemakers, you're not supposed to be a part of that mess, you're supposed to be the ones who are hoping to reconcile people, but it is going to happen, there will continue to be wars. And so obviously when he said he comes to bring a, a kingdom of peace, that's, that's not what he's talking about. I also don't think that he's talking about some state of mind. He's not talking about this nirvana in which we will experience pure bliss. And even if the world is messy and it's a disaster around us, that we're going to experience this tranquility. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Because in Luke 12, he says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. This is not the Jesus that we think of at Christmas, right? This is not the sweet baby Jesus that's like, what, eight pounds, six ounces. We just love him. He's so cuddly and cute. And then he's going, look, I cannot wait to bring fire to the earth. What he's talking about here is he's talking about this future day in which people are going to be judged, good or bad. And it's going to be determined on and where you stand in relationship to him. Have you given your life to him? Have you become a part of his kingdom? Or have you continued to live under your own authority? He says that he will be the dividing line in the world. That someday he will part the world, all the people, and they will be in two categories. The people who were with him and the people who were not. Continues on, <clears throat> 1251 says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? <clears throat> no, I tell you, but division. Okay, so he's kind of blowing out of the water this conception of Prince of Peace that we would have had. If we were reading on the surface and we were first century Jews, we would be pretty confused at this point. He even continues on, he says, I didn't even come to bring relational peace. So not only am I not bringing peace in the world, there's going to be wars. I'm not bringing uh, like this, this peace amongst nature, because there's still going to be tsunamis and earthquakes and natural disasters. I didn't come to bring uh, a peace amongst people. And here's what he says in Luke 12, 52. He says, from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And so he says, if I come into your life and you become a part of my kingdom, you, you give the authority of your life over to me, what's going to happen is there's going to be all these good things. We're going to talk about that, but there's also going to be division. And maybe you've experienced this as you begin to become more like Christ and follow him, you will find that the people who you are close to, you aren't close to any longer. There may even come a time in which they don't want to hang out with you because you don't do the things that they do. You don't have the same values. You don't have the same habits as they do. And so you will begin to see that because Jesus has entered into your life, he has brought relational division. And so in John 4, uh, 27, it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give, you, give to you as the world gives. And so Jesus gives us a little bit of a hint of what the peace is that he's offering us. So it's not all of those things. It is this thing. And the way that he presents it is in contrast to the peace that we get from the world. 
So I guess the next natural question is, what is the peace that we get from the world? What is, what is the, the, the world offering us? Well, it offers us peace through control. If we believe that we can gain enough control of our surroundings and of our lives, that somehow we're going to gain peace. Somehow we're going to be able to control the situations and the circumstances, and it's going to bring uh, peace into our lives. And so if we can make enough money and we can have enough influence and, and we can uh, gain enough connections and we can accomplish our goals, then somehow we're going to find peace in our world. And so let me give you an example. Here's how it looks in my life. Is, um, I have obviously a family of three young kids and, and so I am always trying to figure out how to keep them safe. Right? That is like a huge thing of mine. I don't think that's a bad thing, but it, I'm always trying to figure out how do I control the world around them so that they're okay. And so I will go and I will research all the time. This is like my deal, right? I research all the time. What is the safest car? Okay, and I'll do it. I'll read all these things. I'll go, ooh, okay, an Acura. That's the safest car. And so I'll figure out, okay, we're going to get an Acura, you know? And I don't even, I don't really like it, but we'll get it, okay? And, we're, and then um, when, uh, when our children are born, and it's been over the last six years, is I would get them baby monitors, all right? And so you probably don't know anything about baby monitors. It's okay. I'll tell you. So there's different types of baby monitors. They don't just, like, give you, um, like, like, okay, when we were little, I say we like we're the same age, when, uh, whatever, okay. <laughs> when some of us were little, maybe you, um, the baby monitor was they put a monitor right next to your crib, and then they keep the other one, and it's this, like, primitive walkie-talkie, Right? And so you could hear if the baby wakes up or whatever. Some of you guys are like 12, maybe you had video. I don't know, but that's what monitors look like. That's not how monitors are now. Let me just, let me just give you a little insight into what baby monitors look like now. Is for my, uh, for my youngest, Jed, he has, for the last year of his life, worn a sock. And this sock has a little laser that shoots into, an infrared laser that shoots into his foot, and it can gauge his heart rate and his uh, oxygen levels. And then it sends it to my phone, and I can monitor live updates on how he's doing in the other room. What? The future is here, people. Is that not crazy? Is that not just so cool? Do you not, do you not want one for yourself right now? Okay. All right. Anyway, the whole deal is that that is my attempt at trying to control the world around me. Right? The world is not safe. The world is messy. And I am just trying my very best to control what is, at the end of the day, uncontrollable. I can't fix this. And no matter how much money you have, no matter how much influence you may gather, you still cannot control the world around you. You can't control people. You can't control nature. You can barely control yourself most of the time. And so the world tries to give us this peace through control, and we end up realizing that not only do we not have control, but the things that we have used in order to gain control in the end actually control us. And so we try to make more money because it's somehow going to give us control of our world. And you know what happens? That money ends up controlling us. That becomes the main priority of our life. We end up uh, trying to uh, control through power and influence, and that ends up being our sole purpose, and we end up being controlled by the power and the influence that we're trying to gain. And so the world, one of the ways it gives us is through power and influence, and, and we, have, uh, we have these moments in which we realize, okay, that's not really working. 
And so some of us, and this is usually where we begin, usually it's, I'll be honest, usually it's people who have started their careers that they think money and affluence and power is going to be, but usually when we're younger, you know how we try to gain control or, hey, we, we try to find peace? It's usually by escaping, right? It's usually through I'm going to use something or someone in order to numb the pain and make myself feel better, and that's how, how I will gain peace in this world. And so we go out and we have addictions and that might be something that you look at or something you drink or you put in your arm or some relationships that you have or whatever it is, you jump from thing to thing hoping that this person or this thing is going to bring the peace that you desire. And it doesn't take long to realize how temporary and destructive these things are in our lives. Oftentimes we'll spend the rest of our life trying to recover from those things that we thought were going to bring us peace. The scripture tells us that the, the real peace that we're looking for will, one, assume some kind of conflict. So I don't think anyone in the world, whether you're an atheist or you're a Christian or you're a Buddhist or whatever you are, I think that everyone would agree that we want peace, and so there's something that is in, in us and something that's in the world that has disrupted that peace that we want. And so I think one of the first questions that we have to ask is, well, where did we lose our peace? I mean, we have this idea that it's there and that we want it. And scripture says the reason why you and I do not have the peace that we want is because, and we can point at all of these things, it's education, it's lack of equality, it's whatever, whatever, whatever. But at the end of the day, if you fixed all those things, you still wouldn't have it. And so what's the real issue? Well, the issue is there's got to be something wrong with us. If we can't find the peace, no matter what we do, then what's broken about us? And the scripture tells us that the thing that is broken about all of us is that we have lost our relationship with our creator. This thing called sin enters into the world and enters into us, and we become rebellious. And, um, and I, I like to talk to you from the perspective of being a season or two ahead of you. And the longer that I live, the more real this becomes. I've always known these truths, right? I know the Bible, I know sin, I know Adam and Eve, I know all that kind of stuff. But seeing it play out in real time as I get older, it just becomes more relevant, more true. And so my kids, for example, and, and look, I'm a parent, this is my life, whatever. My middle child, Ezra, who is so insanely cute, is such a disaster of a child, okay? He, like, if you don't believe that they are born just a disaster, that you're just like, you know what, we're all just born kind and sweet and beautiful. It's like, I have some children to introduce you to that would tell you, mm, not true, all right? We are born with this rebellion inside of us. And so all of us have this, this brokenness that we are not at peace with God, and so we're not at peace with ourselves, and there's something inherent about the whole thing. I used to tell, uh, uh, when I was a youth pastor a long time ago, when I would talk about this issue, and I would say, well, you know, why is it that no matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter what we accomplish, we can't seem to find the peace? It, it reminds me of um, teenage girls who would come up to me or to one of the leaders, and they would just say, you know what? There's, and they would just every week have a new drama in their life. There'd be a new problem, a new issue, a new person that wasn't. And eventually, after a series of these events, you would sit them down and you go, you know, I've noticed a common denominator between all of your problems. All the conflict you have, you know what the common denominator is? You. You're the problem. And they would usually react very well to this. And they would say, thank you for opening my eyes and enlightening me to my issues. And blah, 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 right? Happened every time. Um, but I, I think that humanity has to begin to realize 
guys, maybe we're the problem. Maybe we're the issue here. We can't seem to make things any better. Maybe it's because we keep dragging us with it. And so we've never addressed the real problem. And so the scripture's answer to this would be, if you want true, lasting peace, you have to first admit that you are the issue, that you are the problem, that you're the reason why the peace does not exist. And the root of that issue is a conflict between you and God. I don't know if you have any really close relationships in your life, and maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whatever, and if you've ever been in conflict with them and you don't resolve it, I don't know about you, but I feel uneasy throughout the day. Do you ever feel that? Like, even if you're not thinking about it, they're still in, like, in the back of your, your mind, or maybe it's in your heart where you're just going, oh, something's not right today. I'm off. Well, imagine that, but on a cosmic scale. Something's not right. Something's off. Oh, it's because that relationship, it's in conflict. It's, it's broken. And so we have to first admit that we are uh, broken, that we are, the fault, uh, we are at fault, and that it is uh, at its core because of our broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. Well, Jesus comes along, and of course, we understand that he's the Prince of Peace, but we don't really understand what that means. And so at the end of his ministry and at the end of his life, he comes and he's, he shows us what it means to be the Prince of Peace. He offers himself as the peace offering. He says, if you want peace in the world, if you want peace between you and your creator, I am going to be the one that has to bring that peace, and I will do it by offering myself, a peace offering. You know what a peace offering is, right? It's when you have a dispute between like these two parties, and then someone gives something to the other party saying, hey, I want to, I want to have peace with you, and so here is my gift to you. Well, Jesus comes, and he says, I'm going to be that peace offering so that you can be reconciled to your creator. And so that's what the peace is that Jesus brings us. He says that I have come in order to bring peace, ultimate peace, eternal peace, everlasting peace, where you can know that no matter what happens in this life, you and your heavenly father have been reconciled and you get to spend eternity with him. And so that's a peace that surpasses understanding, but also surpasses our circumstances. And so if you are uh, like me, and I have heard this message, and I have preached this message, and yet there have been seasons, a lot of seasons in my life, in which I have not experienced this kind of peace. Let me leave this with you. So there's one group in here who you're not sure what you believe, and, and you're looking for this peace, but you haven't made that commitment. I would encourage you to pursue this Prince of Peace, to be reconciled to your Heavenly Father. But there's a second group of us who would say that we've done that, but yet we have not we have not experienced this peace. And I think the reason is because, um, well, one, we don't really understand what faith is about. At the core of faith, faith is synonymous with trust, is we have been called to completely put our trust into uh, our Heavenly Father. And so there may be some areas of our life in which we have not completely trusted Him yet. Uh, if you have a friend or, or you have a, a family member and you've asked them to do something, and they go out, and, um, and every step of the way, you are micromanaging them, and you're watching everything that they do, or you're calling them, or you're texting them, and making sure it's going to, you probably don't really trust that person, right? There's a lack of trust there, that they're not going to handle it for you. Well, the same is true with us and God, is we say, oh, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, but then we micromanage our lives. Well, here's how I would do it. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I think is going to happen. And we never fully hand over the keys to our life and say, okay, here, it's yours. We continue to take things back. 
we continue to maybe go our own way, even if the scripture's clear, ah, we're supposed to be living this way, we say, ah, I think that I'm supposed to go and do this. And so my dad used to give me a couple questions. Whenever I'd feel anxious and I didn't have that peace that I knew um, that I should have, he would ask me two questions. Here they are, real quick. He would ask me this. He would say, um, son, God gives us clear directives in scripture, you know, you know, wise advice for living. Have you done what he said? So pretty simple. Are you, are you living according to what the scriptures say? And there were seasons which I was like, no, and that's why I'm so anxious, because I know I'm doing wrong, right? And so he'd ask me, is your life on track? Are you living the way that you know that you're supposed to according to the scriptures? And then the second is, have you given it over to God? Have you trusted him with the outcomes? And so here's an exercise I've been doing for a long time and I've taught people for a long time, is when you're feeling anxious, and by the way, um, here's my guess, is whatever area of your life that you're feeling anxious in is probably the area in which you're having the hardest time trusting God with. So if you're anxious about your finances or a relationship or about your future, about your career, that's probably the area that you're holding on to and not trusting God with. And so here's what, I, here's what I tell people to do all the time, and you may need to physically do this, is you put your hands out there, and this is how we're really living life, is white-knuckling it, holding on, and just go, okay, God, it's yours. Whether you have to physically do that, you have to in your mind, okay, here's the relationship, here's the career, here's my future, here's my hopes and dreams, all right, God, it's yours. And then you just come open-handed. And so here's my question that I'll leave you with, or two questions. If you do not feel this peace, one, are you doing what the scriptures say? And two, are you coming in fully open-handed saying, God, I trust you with it? All right, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for... Uh, Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for this community in which these young adults get to do life together and they get to wrestle with some of these questions and, and really make some big, profound decisions, some decisions that will stay with them for the rest of their life and they have found a place in which they can get some wise counsel and be able to make uh, great decisions. And so, Lord God, as we enter into this holiday season and we are preparing ourselves for, for Christmas and all that, that entails, um, there may be some chaos and some stress. And we just pray that you would be our peace, that we would be able to fully trust in you, that you have our, our, our best in mind, and that if we will hand over the keys to our life, that you will continue to work out things for our good. And so, Lord God, help us to continue to um, live how you, have, how you have commanded us to, and that we would, at the end of the day, come open-handed and say, it's yours, no take-backs. Amen.